And I'm Greg Matzik. Welcome in to Miller Lite's Packers Playbook on WTMJ. Happy to be joined by Jeff Falconio, as always. Ashton Rotman is here in a Hartford Whalers hat producing the program and would love to hear from you. We've got Packers football talk on our mind for the next two hours. 414-799-1620 is the Acadet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A very busy night of sports here on WTMJ. We've got two hours of Packers Playbook, followed by Matt Pauley and Brewers Weekly. He'll take you right up to Bucks coverage. Bucks shots begins at 9 o'clock tonight. Milwaukee taking on the Golden State Warriors, a late tip, 9.30. So anchor in. We've got the next uh, five or six hours all set for you here. Yeah, Jagar's in the house. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, I did notice that. Yeah, he so did not bring we, we any, got the, whole, the whole group is here. He did not bring any Chinese food in. I thought he would. Oh, I thought it was yeah. his turn. Yeah. Nonetheless, lots to get to tonight as the Packers, finally a home game here. The last time the Packers played at home, the Milwaukee Brewers were still playing in the playoffs. Feels like a long time ago. It was a while ago, but uh, we'll get into some of the reasons why the Packers are chasing 500 here. And uh, it just part of that bulky middle class in the NFC. We'll also hear from Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers coming up this half hour. The injury report, light on the Packers side, not so much on the Dolphins side. And I also want to talk about Ted Thompson and his legacy in Green Bay. A few rough drafts in the last several years, well documented, but he will be inducted into the Packers Hall of Fame in a spring ceremony. Be thinking about this. Aside of Aaron Rodgers, what was Ted Thompson's best move? Be it a draft, pick, a release, free agent signing, whatever the case. We'll get into that coming up following the 6.30 news. So the Dolphins come into town. They are 5-4, and four, chasing New England, as always in the AFC. Things kind of look like a rock fight when the Miami Dolphins play. It's not always pretty, but they get the job done. Case in point, a 13-6 to win over the Jets last weekend. But they are what they are. And with a backup quarterback, who really isn't that much different than a starting quarterback, in Ryan Tannehill, they've been able to do more than just stay afloat here in the AFC, which is also a little bit watered down. The Packers, of course, come in, Jeff, having lost back-to-back games against very high-quality opponents in Los Angeles and New England both on the road, both with opportunities to win. It looked like things were right there for the taking in the fourth quarter, and then a couple of things happened, and boom, here you are chasing 500 at 3-4-1. But the Packers are 9.5-point favorites here on their home field, welcoming in the warm-weather Dolphins. Is this where things get turned around? For this week, I think so. I think it's going to be a nice uh, nice breather. I when I look at Miami, I see two different teams. I see the team early in the year that started 3-0 and that was successful, and then I see the team that has played out over the last five weeks or so. And you mentioned the rock fight against the Jets where they won 13-6, to but their defense has, has not been good. It's been shabby. Uh, and as, as the tide has turned after those first uh, three weeks of the season, a big part of it is the number of, uh, of points that they've been giving up. So I think this is a, a good, albeit brief, opportunity for the Packers to get on track here, and they're going to need it because these next three games, I mean, this is the season. You know, when you look at, at where they are and where the rest of the NFC is starting to stack up, and again, I think we're still, still going to wait till Thanksgiving to really get a handle on what the playoff race is going to look like, but it's pretty clear You'll get at least one wild card team out of the South. I don't know where the second wild card team may come, may, may come from uh, the South as well. We may see three playoff teams from the South like we did last year. Um, but you know, we, we talk about that that ten win level, and a loss here in the next three weeks means you got to run the table to get to that ten win mark. So this is big. It's at home. And it's going to be colder, but I don't think the weather's going to be really detrimental. So I don't know how much of an advantage it's going to be over the, the warm-weather Dolphins. But you're at home. You've got a defense that is that has been porous uh, over the last at least month of the season. So good opportunity here to, to regain some confidence. What do you think? 414-799-1620 if you'd like to join us on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm trying to figure out what the Dolphins do best. I don't know the answer to that. I really don't. They're kind of mediocre, and they're five and four. When I look at the Packers, what do they do best? Well, I, I, just it's it's Aaron Rodgers' show, and I think running has been a, a, a fantastic strength of the Packers this year. They just don't seem to do it enough. We'll talk more about that coming up. I don't know what what the bread and butter of the Miami Dolphins really is. I mean, they've got a good back in Kenyon Drake. They've got an aging superstar in Frank Gore. Not aging. He's old, but still productive. No, he's aging. And, you know, occasionally they're sound on defense, but majority of the time they're not. I, I, I don't know. I, they're, they're a fantastically average team, in my opinion, led by Brock Osweiler. I, I mean, I like to think the Packers can knock that off on the home field. Oh, certainly. And, and if they don't, then I think we definitely know, yeah, this team is in some real trouble. I do think 
the one thing that they can do well when they win, again, didn't happen last week against the Jets, but running the football. I think Drake and Gore presents a uh, an interesting backfield, and, and I sense that for Miami to win this game, they're going to need to run the football well. And that's the thing, when, when you look back, uh, and I don't know that we saw it too much last week because of some of the injuries that New England had, but against the Rams and against the 49ers, some of those really big chunk plays, especially on the perimeter, giving up on the ground, uh, how much is this run defense going to be tested on Sunday? Uh, to me, that's that's one of the big questions this week. If you'd like to join us in the program tonight, we're taking your thoughts at 414-799-1620. When we come back, we'll hear from Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers talking about the two-minute offense and why there have been so many throwaways. Something we talked about after that New England game. 19 times under duress, I counted eight throwaways in that game. Why is this happening? We'll get into it after this. Miller Lights Packers Playbook continues. Devil Lights Packers Playbook continues on WTMJ. Greg Matzik and Jeff Falconio with you till 8 o'clock. Love to have you on the program as well. 414-799-1620. It's the Akinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this the weekend you feel like the Packers are going to break out of things and maybe use it as a springboard to greater things? No doubt their previous two opponents have been stiff and on the road, but they got the Dolphins. Game number two of a three-game in 12-day stretch. That will wrap up with a Thursday night game in Seattle against the Seahawks. Yeah, the schedule doing the Packers no favors here, Jeff, but I don't know that the Packers are doing themselves any favors as well. I, I feel like the last couple of weeks have been you know, less about Sean McVay and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and more about the Packers just shooting themselves in the foot at the wrong time, making the wrong mistake. It's cost people jobs, quite literally, and it's been frustrating to watch because both these games, Rams and Patriots, the opportunities have been there to go ahead and win. And they just stumbled at the wrong time against teams that you can't afford to do it against. They're good enough to hang around in the fourth quarter against two of the best teams in the NFL. Not good enough to overcome mistakes, their own mistakes, and win those games. And that's, I, I think, just the story of this team. And, you know, they got away with a couple of ones early in the season at home uh, against Chicago and Minnesota. And, and maybe that's the difference. And this team's still searching for a road win, which is why I think this game is important among other things not only is that the opportunity to get on track offensively but uh take some pressure off as you've got two big road ones uh, after this week but yeah that's that's been really frustrating to watch this is obviously not the same Packers team and certainly offensively as far as spreading the the blame around or, or pointing a finger I think there are several things that you can look at including Aaron Rodgers uh, who is not above criticism um, he has not been himself, but there have been other times, as you point out, that the TAs, the throwaways, uh, have been big. He has missed open wide receivers. There have been drops. There have been penalties. And we, we know the, the laundry list. I mean, it's pretty long, and it just comes down to a lack of execution. Could they have beaten the Rams two weeks ago if Ty Montgomery doesn't take the uh, the, the kickoff out and fumble the football? I don't know, because you know, Aaron Donald was really starting to get ramped up. I mean, he had two third-down sacks in the second half, but... It's hard to bet against Aaron Rodgers with the ball and the game on the line in the final two minutes. Um, same situation against New England. Aaron Jones doesn't fumble. You know, we got to remember New England scored two touchdowns. So, I mean, it wasn't just an offensive breakdown. It was a defensive breakdown as well. But, you know, would they have had the horses to keep up with the Patriots in the fourth quarter? I don't know. But that's the thing. In the past, I think we said, well, tough break. But, you know, if it wasn't for this or that, they would have won the game. Who knows? I mean, if Aaron Jones doesn't fumble, I'm not fully convinced that they would have beaten New England. I wanted to see it, though. Right? Oh, sure. I mean, you know what well, I mean? I mean, you like to... I mean, again, you know, when you look at where that Rams defense was, and with Aaron Donald ramping up and you could put Sue on the outside, that's going to mean a lot of pressure on Rodgers. But you love that opportunity. And, again, you don't bet against Aaron Rodgers in that situation, but it's not a guarantee they win the game. But, yes, you're right. You want to see them have the chance. Some of the things we have grown accustomed to watching, with it just it, it's been a pleasure to watch over the years the Packers' success in the red zone and the two-minute drill. And neither really have been worth writing home about this season. Packers ranked 20th in the league in red zone touchdown percentage. That, that is nowhere near where they usually are with Aaron Rodgers at the helm. The two-minute drill is another puzzling one because this is an area where you always feel confident. Well, you get a minute and a half on the clock and a timeout, there you go. Packers are going to find a way to get points. It's been an issue for the Packers this season. Aaron Rodgers was asked about it yesterday. This guy's be on the same page. It's simple, uh, simple plays with easy adjustments. It's tempo, and then it's uh, you know the urgency goes up, and 
we've been able to, to find the right matchups in those situations. You know, it's using the stuff that's worked in the game or uh, stuff that we have a million reps in. The silly red zone penalties also creeping up, uh, problematic for this team to be sure. About the completion percentage, you know, you, you look at Aaron Rodgers' stats and, and you almost feel like it's two different quarterbacks. 15 touchdowns in one pick, but his completion percentage is barely above Josh Rosen, right? I mean, it's, mm. it's 60.6%, which is just not very good. But it's not the case of Rodgers putting the ball where he doesn't want to put it. In fact, that's exactly what he is doing most of the time on those throwaways. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that, that you can draw a complete uh, equals between completion percentage and accuracy. Um, when I'm throwing the ball, I'm throwing it where I want it. Um, if I say I missed a throw, that, that means that I missed a spot by, you know, six inches or however, however much I missed it by. Um, we've just had a number of throwaways based on uh, based on the coverages. So we got to keep finding ways to get guys in one or two spots open on time, and uh, when they're open, I got to I got to make the throws. Might balance better serve the Packers offense here. I talked about this last night, Jeff. I want to get your thoughts on it as well. If you'd like to weigh in on the discussion, it's 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just getting underway here, Miller Lights Packers playbook continues after this. Coming up at 6.33 tonight, Ted Thompson, best move aside of Aaron Rodgers. What was it? We'll take your thoughts coming up following the 6.30 news. I'm Greg Matzik. He's Jeff Falconio. This is Miller Lights Packers playbook. 414-799-1620 if you'd like to join us here. Packers look to get back to 500 with a win over the Dolphins this weekend. They'll face a backup quarterback in Brock Osweiler. Dan is in Racine joining us in WTMJ. Hi, Dan. Hey, Greg. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I definitely think uh, the Packers are definitely going to be the team that you need to completely watch the rest of the year. I got a lot of confidence in them. I'm a little nervous, but at the same time, you know, you just got to make sure that they don't take their put their pedal off the gas. I mean, you definitely need to start getting the ball in Aaron Jones's hands a lot more. Granted, he fumbled last week, but like we talked about last night, the guy's still averaging six yards a carry in the league. I mean, you know, you got to be able to take get some give and take in that, especially you know, getting the pressure off of Aaron Rodgers. Dolphins, I don't want to say that they're a crappy team right now, but you don't want to uh, mislead that are misleading too. I mean. You just got to make sure we don't take our pedal uh, foot off the gas at this point for the rest of the remaining year in that. I got high hopes. I appreciate the phone call, Dan. You know, it, it's interesting. On a team with Aaron Rodgers, it's it, very clear Aaron Rodgers is the best player on the team, and more often than not, he's the best player on the field. But what the Packers are doing best right now, Jeff, on offense is running the football. Aaron Jones is averaging six yards a carry. He only has 58 attempts. So maybe that's not enough of a sample size, but I also identify him as a very explosive player. And the rushing attempts are 29th in the league. Meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers was under duress 19 times against the Patriots. So my mind is saying, can you balance this out a little bit? Can you make Aaron Rodgers more effective by utilizing Aaron Jones a little bit more? The offensive line is, is iffy at best. The guards got torched last weekend. But run blocking seems to be all right. Well, you know, the, the narrative early in the season was, you know, a big first half deficit against Chicago, against Washington, and against Detroit. So you obviously didn't get the opportunity to run the ball as much as you wanted to. But the last three weeks, or the last three games, I should say, the Packers were competitive, you know, throughout all four quarters. So there was no reason to ditch the running game until well into the fourth quarter. Uh, so the, 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 the number of carries is, is a little bit baffling here now that we're halfway through the season. The only thing that I have with, with Aaron Jones, and I, everybody knows that, that he is an explosive runner, but he's not a three-down back. So legitimately, how many carries can you give him? And how much can you commit to the running game? And how much should you commit to the running game? Because think about it. All right, Aaron Rodgers not working, you know, not at the level that we're used to seeing. Do you really change your tack halfway through the season and say we're going to go from being an Aaron Rodgers centric team to being a balanced team. By the way, the balanced play calling worked against the Rams uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So maybe there's some merit to it, but you just get the sense that while you hope that they run the football more, they need to run the football more, but ultimately it's going to come down to A-Rodge. I would rather see on a run-pass option, I would rather see the ball go to Aaron Jones than behind the line of scrimmage and toward the sidelines to Randall Cobb. You know what I mean? I, it plays like that where it, it's 
Aaron's seeing something, so, right? So, I mean, he's making that call. So if you got the RPO, you'd do more R than P. Well, in those <laughs> situations. Now, I, here's, you know, run pass options can be very easy to see, right? I mean, it's the simple zone read. The, the, the ball's held in the belly of the back, and right. unless the quarterback sees something he'd rather go to, the running back sort of just carries it out like he's going to have the ball. And uh, if Aaron decides to pull the ball back and deliver it to a, a receiver, great. And I, I, there were a couple of times he did that against New England, and it was to Randall Cobb, who it, it was behind the line of scrimmage. I just so things like that. I certainly don't mind Aaron Rodgers dialing up his own number. My goodness, I mean, you have immense trust in the guy to be able to do his job. But I, Aaron Jones is more explosive, right? And so, what certainly. is he seeing? What's the key here? What am I? What am I missing? He's he's deciding to go to Cobb in that situation for some reason. Well, there's obviously a lot of trust and a lot of confidence in Cobb. And then what's also baffling is is for as much as we've been ragging on where this this passing offense is, they get some explosive plays. So then it comes down to, does MVS need to be involved more? Does St. Brown need to get a few more snaps? And then, you know, how many snaps do you take away from Devontae Adams or Cobb? Obviously two guys who Rodgers has a lot of faith and a lot of trust in. So it, it is very much a, a balancing act if you want to be a balanced offense. 414-799-1620 if you'd like to join us. I do want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, we'll keep your conversation going, no doubt. But I also want to talk about Ted Thompson going into the Packers Hall of Fame. What was his best move aside of Aaron Rodgers? We'll take your thoughts coming up after the news. Jeff Wagner thinks the owners of Bayshore Town Center believe the future lies in getting rid of retail and adding more housing. Are they onto something here? Jeff explores at one ten. Check him out uh, tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, one ten tomorrow afternoon. It's the Jeff Wagner Show. This is Miller Lite's Packers Playbook. I'm Greg Matzik along with Jeff Falconio. Week 10 of the NFL season begins tonight. With a good one here, the Carolina Panthers visiting the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll get you updated on all the games coming up in week number 10, about 7.43 tonight when we tell you what to watch. Packers, former Packers GM Ted Thompson, going into the Packers Hall of Fame. This was announced earlier in the week. It'll be a spring ceremony. Thompson will be the only inductee in this year's class. And I have been on the back of Ted Thompson here and frustrated with recent drafts and Felt he did everything possible to build a Super Bowl winning team, and for that he should be applauded, and I think deserving of a Packers Hall of Fame nomination and induction. Once the team reached the Super Bowl, it just uh, the philosophy didn't really evolve all that much, and I think the Packers are just in a rough spot right now, based upon recent drafts by Ted Thompson. But if you remove Aaron Rodgers from the equation, what was Ted's best move? Draft, free agent, cutting a guy, whatever, a trade? What do you think here? 414-799-1620. If you'd like to join us here as we weave discussions on the Packers and Dolphins and the history of Ted Thompson as Packers GM. I think it would have to be the signing of Charles Woodson. That's a big boy. That's a big boy right there. And, and it's on a couple of levels. Aside from the fact that Woodson was phenomenal in, in his time in Green Bay, the, uh, the risk-reward trade-off there, I mean, you have to remember... It was not a big splash signing. In fact, if I remember right, I didn't even look this up, but it was like in April. You know, it was not a week one or week two free agent signing. Woodson was a guy who had been hurt often in Oakland. And you got to remember, it was not considered to be a good locker room guy. He was considered a, a cancerous guy. That's part of the reason why no one wanted him. And if I recall right, um, he had like a little bit of a blow up in his first training camp. But. You know, obviously settled in and, you know, played at the level that I think we all thought he was going to be at uh, when he left college. Not that, to say that he didn't make plays in Oakland, but, you know, he, he was at a different level in Green Bay. No, certainly. And I, and I think one of the, uh, you know, if you want to look at it on the other side, I was very frustrated when they parted ways with Charles Woodson and it didn't work out. That just sort of it became a defining characteristic of Ted Thompson's tenure. It didn't seem like many defensive backs got a second contract in Green Bay, and some of those players became very good other places. But you're right. I mean, that was the first free agent signing of significance. And uh, as you mentioned, nobody really wanted him. So how much of a risk or gamble was it truly? I think pretty low on the risk-gamble meter. But then he became a two-time defensive player of the year, part of a Super Bowl-winning defense. One underrated move here that I thought turned out to be a stroke of brilliance. And it was the trade for Ryan Grant. I thought that was a great move. Mm. you got to think back. So undrafted guy out of Notre Dame. That was like 2005. 
and then he missed all of 2006. He had a weird injury. The Packers got Grant from the Giants. I think it was a sixth-round pick. This was right before the season began. Brandon Jackson from Nebraska was part of the Packers' running back group. I think they had Deshaun Wynn drafted out of Florida that particular year. Well, Grant took over. I remember watching this. It was a game against the Giants where Wynn, I think, led the team in yards, but Grant took a screen pass and just barreled down the sidelines and was like, oh, that guy's a wrecking ball. Um, Fast, wow. I ended up signing a four-year extension. It was just sort of a forgotten, nobody-knew-about-this-guy kind of player. You traded nothing to get him. And then you ultimately brought him back during some of the better years under uh, Aaron Rodgers. So I had like two 1,200-yard seasons. I it was a genius pickup. There are some interesting intricacies when you talk about player development and player transactions. For example, trading away Brett Favre. Now, for a lot of people, and especially at the time, that was incredibly sacrilegious. But what did the Packers end up getting? A conditional third-round pick from the Jets. And what did they do with that pick? Packaged it with a couple of other picks. Traded up with New England in 2009 to take Clay Matthews. Bingo. There That's were some a little, shrewd, little there, the rest shrewd, of the story. Shrewd maneuvering. There's no question right. about that. Now, I think you look at the draft history, and I, I would grade it out as about a C, and I don't think that's good enough for a total draft and develop guy. A lot of great fourth-round picks for yeah. whatever reason. And, and some hey, tremendous hey, second-round receivers. Hit some home runs with Devontae Adams, uh, with Nick Collins, with... Um, Oh, Jordy Nelson? Uh, yeah, Jordy Nelson. They, they traded down that draft That's into right. the top of the second round to get that Nelson. Was, Cobb uh, was a second rounder. Jennings a second rounder. And that was interesting in 2008 because that was at a time where um, Thompson had a, a, a reputation, Trader Teddy, for trading down. It was all it is, trade well, down. And then in 2009, trades up. And, and that was part of the we need to build a Super Bowl depth kind of squad. And, and trading up, it, it was your number one of Dom Capers. So they had yeah. established an identity of being a 3-4 defense, and they needed 3-4 guys to do it. B.J. Raji, Clay Matthews end up in the first round, and look, both those guys were dominant for a time. Definitely. And I think, you know, when, when you look at this decade and you talk about, boy, you know, the Packers haven't been able to get back to that Super Bowl level, and, and I think there's a lot of reasons why. One of which is Nick Collins getting hurt. And not only did that really put a, a dent in the, the 2011 defense very early in the season, but, I mean, to this day, they really they got a lot of mileage out of Morgan Burnett, but they never really had a, a as disruptive a player as Nick Collins was. You know, on, on, again, I mean, Burnett was, was, was you know, very good on, on a number of levels. But you just wonder what might have been with Collins. Let's grab... Steve, or I'm sorry, Stan in Bayview on WTMJ. Hi, Stan. Hey, guys. Good evening. Hey. Ready for the snow? No. Jeez. <laughs> Me either. Stan, um, come on. <laughs> hey, you, uh, yeah, we should be used to it, right? It happens every year, like clockwork. Um, you mentioned Ryan Grant. I totally agree with that. One of the best moves you ever made. And the other thing that Ted Thompson did that I, it kind of goes under the radar a little bit is, uh, the big improvements to um, the, locker hall, the locker room, I thought that was really cool. He uh, did a little... Uh, we lost our uh, connection oh, there. Let's grab George in Chicago on WTMJ. Hi, George. Yeah, guys, I mean, you talk about shooting ourselves in the foot. I think it's those mental errors. And But I wanted to ask you, running into the kicker, why isn't that reviewable when that's such a big call? And when somebody slaps somebody in the face when they're being antagonized, why isn't that reviewable? I don't have a good answer for you, George. Well, games would be four hours long, <laughs> to be if, honest if, with you. If you're going to start reviewing a lot of the penalties. Uh, it's going back to the game against New England where yeah. Jermaine Whitehead was, I mean, who knew it would turn out to be what it was. He lost his job uh, after lightly slapping a guy across the face. Which um, I don't think you should be able to do. I, whatever. I, uh, did, I don't know. The ejections seem like a bit much, but you can't strike a player like that. And yes, that's always a classic case of there's usually a little shoving beforehand that precludes. And, you know, why not review it? Well, I think the problem is you got to draw a line somewhere. First of all, how, how often do you get roughing the kicker penalties? Well, in a that's game? Anyway, the thing. It's, it's so not very common. If you end up calling that, now you're down the slope of should pass interference be that's, replayed. Exactly. You know? If we we to start reviewing offensive holding, we're going to be here all night. They're just holding on every play. 414-799-1620. Your thoughts on the Packers-Dolphins this weekend. Also, Ted Thompson's best move aside of drafting Aaron Rodgers. What was it? More Miller Lights Packers playbook after this. If you're looking for a place to swing by and have a nice cold Miller Light while you watch the green and gold, check out 
by 13th Poor, Milwaukee. Swing by, say hello, check out 1175 Sports Park, and eatery in Kansas, Phil, enjoy an ice-cold Miller Lite. No better way to celebrate 100 seasons of Packers football than with a Miller Lite. I'm Greg Matzik. He's Jeff Falconio. This is Miller Lite's Packers Playbook. 414-799-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this the week the Packers break out of a bit of a funk? Everything seems a little stale right now at 3-4-1. and one. Packers were in a similar situation in 2016. The schedule this time down the stretch, maybe a little rougher than it was when they did run the table. Zachary in Waukesha joining us next on WTMJ. Hi, Zachary. Hey, thanks for taking my call. How's it going? Great. Great. Um, just a uh, touch base. I remember you were talking about uh, Ted Thompson's last worst moves. And maybe you should, I, I talk about this all the time. I look up uh, the DN's uh, name, and I always forget, uh, forget his name. He a uh, huge pass rusher, um, Super Bowl team. And then he went to the, the Eagles afterwards. Yeah, those color Jenkins. Jenkins. Yeah. Um, but he was, uh, you had to double team him and a young Clay Matthews, and you couldn't double team both of them. And I think, uh, taking that guy up, uh, but letting him go was unfortunate as well. Uh, do you remember his name? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, Cullen, Cullen Jenkins. Uh, a very slippery inside yeah. pass rusher, right? Uh, you know, we talk about moves made by Ted Thompson to fortify the defensive line. Remember Howard Green? Sure. Hey, go back and watch the Super Bowl. Who disrupted Ben Roethlisberger on Nick Collins' pick six? I mean, it was Howard Green just blasting through the middle. Um, and he was just a, a street free agent brought in to be a wrecking ball. I mean, the guy was like 340 pounds. He couldn't move him. Was uh, released by the Jets, picked up the week they played New York, and I remember had a really nice game. And uh, that's another thing that Ted Thompson did for a, a good chunk of his career was he was able to find these guys that you just think, wow, okay. I mean, DeWan Harris is another example who. You know, when when he first came sure. on board, was just a practice squad guy. I think it had a little bit of playing time with, what Pittsburgh and Jacksonville, something like that. And then all of a sudden, he's like, you know, the number one rusher in twenty twelve. You know, or he's, he's the number one running back. Um, so he did have a a history of that of of finding not just the undrafted free agents, but castoffs uh, or you know other practice squad guys. That would come in and, and contribute if just for a little while. Sam Shields was another guy just sort of found undrafted free agent. Um, you also that was the thing about that defense is had playmakers all over the field. You had Sam Shields, uh, Tremont Williams, Charles Woodson, um, Colin Jenkins, B.J. Raji on the defensive line, Clay Matthews. You know, um, I mean that's just that's that's a Super Bowl winning defense, obviously. Well, and I guess it. It, it, it makes all these other moves so much more frustrating. You find a guy just on the scrap heap out of nowhere and, and bring him in and turn him into a star. How do you explain Dayton Jones, Demarius Randall, Kyrie Thornton, Carl Bradford, Mike Neal? Do you want me to keep going here? I can uh, keep no. going here. That's fine. Uh, right? I mean, those are legit. I mean, that is draft currency you are spending on those guys that amount to nothing. Well, I mean, you know the saying, the NFL draft, and really I, I think player development is just as much an art as it is science. You know, how how you can get a, a maybe not a Hall of Fame career, but a Pro Bowl-level career out of a guy like Sam Shields, who's an undrafted free agent, and you get a handful of good games from Dayton Jones, who's a first-round pick. That's player development, folks. It's you know, if it was easy, everybody would be able to do it. What do you think Mike Neal is doing these days? By the oh, way, you want to boy. talk about a guy I'm surprised never found a spot back in the league after a weird four-game suspension? Was still hanging on somewhere. That's amazing. Buffalo, maybe um, playing quarterback. Yeah. No, still on defense. Oh, all right. <laughs> that was a trade up in the second round to get Jarrell Worthy yeah. out of Michigan State too. So that was uh, I, that, that's that's the point here. I think overall. There was a lot of misses. I mean, there was a lot of swings and misses. There was some brilliance. There's no question about it. And the Packers did win a Super Bowl. It just it just didn't quite stick. It just didn't stick. No, and, and some of it is, I, I would argue, with just about any Super Bowl team, any Super Bowl champion, you, you just kind of have the Midas touch. You just go through a streak where, you know, you, you, you take James Jones, Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, and all of a sudden you've got a powerhouse offense. Oh, by the way, those, none of those guys were first-round picks. And to also think about how long it took to reconstruct that offensive line from where it was when Ted Thompson took over in 2005. And then we talk about a signing like Charles Woodson paying off, another free agent signing, Ryan Pickett, picking up Howard Green, trading up for Clay Matthews. You know, all these things work. 
And I'll go back to the Eagles last year. Look, you know, look at how many home runs in, in the draft, in free agency, and in trades that the Eagles hit in 2016 and 2017 to win a Super Bowl. But as Philadelphia is finding out this year, once you win that first Super Bowl, it's a lot tougher. We'll wrap up our number one of Miller Lights Packers playbook on the other side. Got an action-packed hour number two coming up, including coming up at 743. We will tell you what to watch. More up to this in WTMJ. We're wrapping up our number one of Miller Lights Packers playbook. I'm Greg Matzik along with Jeff Falconio till 8 o'clock tonight. Coming up after the 7 o'clock news, do you appreciate Brian Gutekunst's zero-tolerance policy? Boy, it seems like we take a lot of phone calls. Oh, the Packers need to be more like the Patriots and their personnel moves and how they do things. And, well, you've seen a couple moves here made over the last couple of weeks that were very Patriots-esque. And uh, we'll talk about those coming up at 7.07 tonight. Also, should Mike McCarthy be looking for a job? I think there'd be a line around the block to try and get into Green Bay to be the head coach of the Packers? I think there would be, but there's some interesting nuggets in a blurb written uh, through JS Online. I want to read for you coming up uh, about 7.24 tonight. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, Ted Thompson will go into the Packers Hall of Fame in spring. What was his best move aside of Aaron Rodgers? I, I think ultimately Ted Thompson's legacy as a guy who built a Super Bowl winning team, the guy who drafted Aaron Rodgers, I mean, that's, that's head-of-the-class kind of stuff, which is great. And, and, and I don't think any GM has had a decade long of just consistent, we were there every year, it didn't matter who was in our way, aside of what is going on in New England, which is incredibly rare in today's world of sports, not just the NFL. Uh, but you mentioned like key free agent signings and teams that have evolved, and the pain that you have to go through in order to get back to the promised land. Mm. I, look at the New Orleans Saints spinning their wheels for a couple of years. With a Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees. I would say more than a couple. And, you know, this is a team that is now riding high and maybe the best in football. You could make that argument, sure. And and how did they do it? How did they get back on track? A draft in key free agents. Not breaking the bank, but finding a third-rounder in Alvin Kamara, who's a, a pro bowler and among the most indefensible players in football. Their free agents a couple of years ago were Ted Ginn and Manti Teo. You know what I mean? They didn't, yeah. didn't break the bank, but they were logical additions to a team that it, it just fit. It just really fit. And now they've kind of morphed and become a little more of a running yeah, I mean, team. Last year, they, uh, I think it was the last year offseason, they, they sort of revamped their linebacking core. And uh, But it's funny how we, we talk about where the Packers are, ah, you know, wasting Aaron Rodgers. We think about Drew Brees. Remember when he came to New Orleans, you know, they were terrible. They had that big bump up in 2006, won a Super Bowl in 2009. And they've had a handful of playoff appearances since then. But look at how many times they've been a 7-8 win team with Drew Brees in New Orleans. And they are doing, they are running the ball more now than ever. And not to say they've taken the ball out of Drew Brees' hand. That is not the case. But they do have a two-headed monster at running back. I mean, they're just a machine offensively. But if they you can need, do that. If you need it, Drew can throw for three fifty. Absolutely. Hmm. Hopefully a lot of that to Michael Thomas for reasons passing understanding. But, you know. What if that would work in Green Bay? <laughs> the news is next in WTMJ. That's our number two of Netherlights Packers Playbook on WTMJ. Greg Matzik and Jeff Falconio with you till 8 o'clock. Matt Pauley is here for Brewers Weekly at 8.07. Then Bucks basketball tonight. From the Bay Area, it's the Bucks and Warriors. Our coverage gets underway with Bucks shots at 9 o'clock. We've got What to Watch coming up at 7.43 tonight. I do want to get your thoughts on the moves made by Brian Gutekunst of late. A couple of trades in the last week. You had the release of Jermaine Whitehead, so clearly sending a message here to the locker room. Do you appreciate how he's handled business here over the last uh, couple of weeks? We'll dive into that in, uh, in a moment. I do want to switch gears here at the start of the top of the hour here, Jeff. And uh, interesting article written by Pete Doherty of the Green Bay Press-Gazette, PackersNews.com. Here's the headline. Stale, stagnant Packers face rougher road to 2016 repeat. Of course, the season, 10 games in in 2016, looked like it was uh, spiraling out of control. They were 4-6, and six, and they did what? They ran the table. Mm -hmm. Great catchphrase. Relax, we're getting to the rest of this. Yeah, the great catchphrase. Yes. Anyways, uh, the road to recovery here for the Packers is a little bit more difficult, more challenging, is what Pete Doherty suggests. But uh, there's some more interesting nuggets here that I, I, I want to read. So 
The Packers are coming off back-to-back road losses to the Rams and New England Patriots. Rodgers, again, isn't playing anything like an MVP, and McCarthy's unevenly performing team is giving off a distinctly stale vibe. The lesson from 16 is to not make rash judgments and become a prisoner of what has happened most recently when you're only halfway through the NFL season. Things can change fast in this league based on quarterback play alone. But then we have to ask, is there good reason to think these Packers can turn it around, just like they did in 2016? Are there enough similarities to think McCarthy will rally his team again this year? Is the feeling this season the same as it was this time two years ago? What do you think? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I do remember back in 2016 talking about when the team was struggling along, are there some cracks in the foundation here? Are there some mm. bigger issues that go beyond just you know run blocking and you know two-minute drill and things like that? Is, is there a developing sense that McCarthy's scheme with the offense, and at that time Dom Capers of the defense, it's just not getting through, or it's stale, or right. it's not what today's NFL is all about. I remember questioning it at that time. And then the team just put I put it into overdrive, and it was a, a remarkable run to the finish with Aaron Rodgers leading the charge. So does it feel like that to you this year, where it, it feels like doom and gloom and back-to-back tough losses, and holy smokes, how are we going to dig out of this hole and fire everybody? And all of a sudden, whoa, look at this, they're... But they wrote it all in, the way. In first place. To, what, what happened? To the NFC title game. No, it, this does not feel like 2016. And uh, three things that jump out at me is, is number one, and when you go back to 2016, you had a, a, a really a, a porous defense, not, not a good defense at all. But you also had a run game that was really struggling. There was a lot of change of personnel. That was when Ty Montgomery switched from wide receiver to running back. And he did have, if I recall right, a pretty big game against Chicago late in the season, but... You know, you didn't really have it. You didn't have it worked out the way you have it now. But Aaron Rodgers was phenomenal down the stretch to the point where we were saying, "Is he the MVP?" Because um, after the first you know four or five games of the season, during that four-game losing streak that year, Rodgers was not the issue. As you look at not just the losses recently, but I, all season long, Rodgers has been part of the issue. He has not played anywhere close to an MVP level outside of a few pockets here and there, namely the fourth quarter against Chicago. Um, can he turn it around? Can he get back to that MVP level? Well, maybe, but, you know, again, he was he was firing up before you got to the final six games of the regular season. So that's number one. Number two is the schedule's a lot tougher this time around. Just off the top of my head, let's see if I remember this. They played the Eagles on a Monday night, the Texans at home, the Seahawks at home, and then they played the three divisional opponents, winding up at Detroit, which was for the division title. It's tough for this time because you still have to play the Seahawks on a Thursday night short week at Minnesota, at Chicago, and I would not discount the Falcons, even though they're going to be coming to Lambeau Field in December. Those four games right there, I think, great. I mean, they had the Seahawks, you know, 2016, they were a playoff team, but the Bears were not good, the Vikings were done, and and then that leads into point number three is they were only chasing one team, and the Lions faded pretty badly at the end of the season. This year they're chasing two teams. Does it feel any bit similar to you? 414-799-1620 if you'd like to join us here. It's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Devonta Adams says, quote, feels similar. We just got to get it rolling. Randall Cobb says, quote, we've lost games before, but this just feels different. I will say this. The one thing I do remember, the defense had just gotten ripped during that four-game losing streak, but takeaways were a big issue. There was a lack of takeaways, and it seemed like every week players were saying, we're close. The ball just isn't bouncing our way. We're getting there, but we're not quite there. And it was in, I guess it must have been the third game of the winning streak against Seattle when they had like six takeaways. And that's when the switch really flipped for the defense. So maybe as we talk about the importance of getting back home, playing a Miami team that is beatable, certainly much more beatable than the Rams and the Patriots. Maybe that's what they need. Maybe they just need one big-time performance, you know, like a 35-10 to 10 win where the offense is rolling, the defense is doing their thing, and then it doesn't matter that they go on the road for two more tough games. You know, they, they're just they're doing their thing. They was just sort of like, it really started with that Philadelphia game offensively. That's when the switch flipped and then eventually it happened for the defense. To substantiate the, the points that you were making here, just going looking back on, on the 2016 season, 
I, you're right. Aaron Rodgers had a 96 quarterback rating in that four and six start, which is not phenomenal, but it's not awful yeah. right, by any stretch. I mean, that's fine. You can win a lot of football games with the quarterback playing like that. But then he just got smoking red hot and finished up the season six games, 121 quarterback rating, 15 touchdowns, zero picks. I mean, he played as well as at any point in his career yeah, no during doubt. that stretch. It was an incredible. And to your point about the running backs, it was an aging James Starks, a conversion project in Ty Montgomery, and the third, Aaron Ripkowski. Well, Eddie, at that time was a rookie fullback. Uh, Eddie Lacy was uh, placed on IR. Exactly. So that was but I, there, part I, of the I, issue as I, well. I feel like there was hope that he would come back and hope that Shields would come back. And the guy, <laughs> this is a, a bit of Packers lore here, the guy that they designated for return, Mackinson Dorliant. Oh, yes. And it was like, oh, yeah. okay, so Lacey or Shields, not going to count on those guys for the postseason. Name I tried to forget, but uh, was unable to do that it. That might have been the just... lasting legacy of the late Ted Thompson years. Well, that could be. We're going to rest our hopes on Mackinson Dorlian. Does it feel any bit like 2016 to you? 414-799-1620 if you'd like to join us on the program. Come back with your thoughts on the other side. We've got What to Watch coming up at 743. We of the NFL season about to get underway here in Pittsburgh tonight with a good one. We'll talk about it all after this in WTMJ. Well, 2016, the Packers were 4-6, and six, and all they did was run the table. 3-4-1 and one this year. Any such magic up the sleeves of Aaron Rodgers this time around? Does it feel similar to you? 414-799-1620. It is the Akinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mark is in Racine joining us on WTMJ. Hi, Mark. Hi, guys. Great show. I always enjoy listening to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, hey, I want to be a little bit of a contrarian. You know, everyone's so down on them, but I mean, they just played two of the best teams in all of pro football. I mean, the Patriots every year are there, and they hung with them till when? It was seventeen, seventeen till what time? Play one of the, of the fourth quarter is really yeah. when that game turned. Right, that's a long time to hang with the, maybe the best team in football, and. The week before, they were playing with the only unbeaten team in football, and they were beating them 10 to nothing at halftime. I mean, I know you don't get credit when you lose. If they'd won one of those two games, I think people would be off their case. But because they lost both of them and because of some of the things that happened earlier in the season. Um, but I think, and I think they have a lot of new moving parts, and they haven't, Rogers hasn't incorporated them yet, like Jimmy Graham. And um, I think it's, it's going to come around. I don't know if it'll come around fast enough, but um, I, I see them improving. They're going to they're going to do better the last few games this year. You know, Mark, I, I certainly don't disagree with you, and I guess I'm not as frustrated, Jeff, by the loss to New England or right. the loss at Los Angeles. What ticks me off is what happened against Detroit and what happened against Washington, where they were just not competitive for a half. I mean, those are the losses that piss you off. I mean, those are awful. Those are terrible losses, and, and and those are hard to recover from. And, you know, you, you've reached this point where I, I don't think it's a Jimmy Graham issue. I, I think it's it's becoming a deteriorating, uh, deteriorating chemistry here between Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers, who looks more and more frustrated on the sidelines than I've ever seen him. Mm-hmm. I, I think there really is a, a difference of opinion in how things should operate right now between the two of them. And if they don't find a common ground or a spark somewhere... That's it. This offense, which is rather blasé, it's not going to take off. Here's the thing, to, to be contrarian to the contrarian opinion, uh, and I get what Mark is saying, but when you have Aaron Rodgers on your team, you should never have to say, well, we hung tough with New England for three quarters. You should never have to say, well, we came within two touchdowns. That's why this is so different, because in years past, even when they got blown out, you're like, well, that's, that's a one game. You know, they'll bounce back from that. There's always been this very steady, even keeled, no knee jerk reactions prior to this year in terms of personnel, in terms of just, you know, the feeling in the locker room. And and there's no question New England is, is one of the best teams in the NFL. They may end up being the best team in the NFL when all is said and done. But when Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback, you should not be pleased with only three quarters of hanging in there. So that's um that's one of the issues that I have. The second thing is, is when, you know, when we did the math all the way back to the San Francisco game, so all right, you know, you need to get to that 10 wins to be sure. You needed to win two out of these five tough road games. You're now 0-2. You've yet to win a game on the road. So where do you get two road wins? At Seattle, at Minnesota, at Chicago. 
and then you got to win all the other games. And again, I, I don't think playing uh, Atlanta is a given. Heck, I'm not even so sure that playing Miami and beating Miami is a given with the way that this Packers team has played. So, um, And that, another thing, is going back to, to 2016 where you were catching one team, the Detroit Lions, who you kind of just knew was going to fade because that's just how what Detroit does. Again, you're facing two teams. Well, guess what? Both of these, Minnesota and Chicago, are ramping up. And we looked at the Bears' schedule last week. It's favorable. Three home divisional games, plus uh, the Giants and the 49ers. Granted, those two games in the road, but if they win those five games, that gives them ten wins. Which means 10-5-1, absolutely you need to have it to win the division. 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does it feel in any way similar to you, this run for the Packers, which we hope will begin on Sunday against the Dolphins, as compared to 2016, when the Packers were 4-6? and six. Got more after this in WTMJ. Packers Playbook continues presented by Miller Lite. Greg Matzik and Jeff Falconio with you till 8 o'clock tonight. We are underway with Week 10 of the NFL season. I assume this is some sort of color rush, although I'm not really rushed by the color. It's uh, kind of a bumblebee look here by the Pittsburgh Steelers with black and gold, and you've got uh, sort of the all-white thing going on with the Carolina Panthers. But nonetheless, a pretty good matchup here I, to kick things off. I don't know if that's official color rush for Carolina. That's definitely look Pittsburgh's like color rush. Now, I, um, I'm a little confused because uh, it, the Patriots did it last week, and that was obviously a Sunday night game. I've been noticing teams wearing color rush on a non-Thursday night. Yes. And I that just I don't like that. But, <laughs> I don't know if I like it either. I don't like a 3-4-1 Packers team either having to dig out of a giant hole in order to be playoff worthy and just keep the dream alive here. They did it in 2016. Does it feel any bit similar to you this time around? 414-799-1620. Todd is in Big Bend on WTMJ. Hi, Todd. Hello, Greg and Jeff. I really enjoy your show. Thank you. Um, my question is simple. When you said, Greg, about five minutes ago, the you know the offense is blasé, and all I could do is remember, and I'm not just completely let's get rid of Mike McCarthy at all costs, but I just remember Mike McCarthy saying, "Hey, I'm bringing Joe Philbin back in here. Joe and I, we're going to rip up the playbook. We're going to just tear it up, start over. It's going to be." You know, big and wonderful, and we're going to have two brains instead of one, and then we get Aaron Rodgers, and, you know, I just thought it was hyped up, and you said it. It's blasé, and you are right. It just seems it seems lethargic and blasé is my comment. You know, I, and thanks for the phone call. I just, I don't know what's different. Right, remember scrub brush. I think is the term that he used. Right, we're yes. going to go back to the basic it was scrub brush to the playbook. We're going to build this thing from scratch, and I got excited about the move for Philbin just because of what that offense was with Joe Philbin a part of it. Uh, you know, back in, what it was it, 2015? Uh, before that, 2011, 2012, those years were incredible with Joe Philbin. Um, I, I don't know what's different. I, I really don't know. If I look back at a Packers season two, three years ago, I, it still looks to me like one-on-one matchups are still what Mike McCarthy would like his team to beat. Not really scheming guys open as much. And a quarterback who is usually at his best when outside of the pocket and playing a little streetyard ball uh, or schoolyard ball and is trying to do so on a knee that's been compromised and the accuracy isn't there, the timing isn't there, the commitment to the run game really isn't there. I don't know what's different. It, it looks very similar to me as it has in years past. Well, nothing's different. That's the problem. Um, there are times, there have been times this season where uh, the Packers will show a different look or, or something that, you know something unscouted. And you think, oh, okay, and then they they go away from it, or you know they only show it once, and and maybe it's just to get a little confusion. But um, yeah, this this has looked very much like the same offense from 2015 and that first half of 2016 when it was stale and it was blasé and lethargic. Yeah, absolutely, you use all those uh, all those words to describe this offense. I think some of it again, goes back to the Rodgers injury. And as you point out, he's just not quite the same player, especially outside of the pocket. But at the same time, that injury was week one. I I mean, at some point you have to adjust and say, well, we wanted to do all these things, but we can't now. I mean, you got a thousand plays out there that, you you know, you should be able to dial up something that involves Rodgers not being as mobile as he normally is. You know, the other thing I look back on, and you said this does not feel the same as it did in 2016. There's another big issue. Well, not a big issue, but... A big component to the 2016 discussion was Jared Cook. When he came back after, a, it was a foot or an ankle injury. It was yeah. something that sidelined him. He just wasn't quite the same. But obviously, you, you remember what he did in the playoffs against Dallas, of course. But, I mean, that guy, the last 
eight, nine weeks of the season yeah, was I, outstanding. I feel like it's, it started the, either in the Tennessee or the Washington game where you know his presence was really felt, and then it picked up right at the end of the season, and then he was a beast in the postseason. The only way a tight end is coming to the rescue this year for the Packers is if they unleash Jimmy Graham. And when I say unleash Jimmy Graham, I don't mean line him up against a corner and have him try and outrun the corner. That ain't working. Take that one and flush it. But exposing him across the middle and getting those mismatches in the red zone, that's where he's best. That That is flat out where he is best. He ain't running away from a cornerback. He's not doing that. The spread out wide when you're on the 25-yard line and have him run a go route, okay. What do you expect to have out of that? Yeah, It's got to stop. It, it has to stop. It is just a, it's a boring offense that doesn't need to be boring. I talked about this with Ashton last week. I, it, it's an odd comparison, but follow me here. The Milwaukee Bucks they had a lot of talent last year. They didn't have a coach that knew what to do with the talent. I feel like this Packers team is more talented than the results on offense would dictate. I agree. And to me, that goes on the coach. Got a note on the text line saying, uh, hey, Greg, I, I really feel that Aaron Rodgers can't come out this year and say R-E-L-A-X. Yeah, yeah the catchphrase thing might be over with and done. Uh, those were genuine responses to questions in the locker room, if I recall correctly. I think I was there for them both, the uh, run the table and the R-E-L-A-X. Uh, I recall that rather vividly, 2014 and 2016. It's like an every other year sort of deal. So here we are in 2018. Uh, yeah. And the Packers, you may not get a catchphrase, but you do have a struggling unit here trying to stay afloat in a muddy NFC. Does it feel like 2016 at all to you? 414-799-1620. It's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Brad is in Franklin joining us. Hi, Brad. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. You know, uh, the thing that stands out to me, uh, you know, every year we all probably sit down, look at the schedule and, you know, whatever, July, August, and we, we, and we kind of pencil in, the, you know, these are the ones we're going to win. These are the ones that, you know, we have a 50-50 shot. And, and you know what? Honestly, guys, this year, all the ones that I had penciled in to win, uh, we either tied the home opener or we lost. And and that's the thing that, I mean, you can't put it on one specific area, offense, defense, special teams, whatever. But I'm just saying in years past, we were all pretty accurate collectively to say, yeah, these are, these are win games, these are winnable, we're going to win, we're going to win. And this year... I just don't know. Yeah, nothing looks easy, right? And you look at the schedule and say, well, they got the easy part of the schedule toward the end of the year. I don't know what's easy when you're 3-4-1 and one, and you are not competitive for a half against the Redskins and the Lions. I, I don't know what's easy. You I know, think the Cardinals would be easy. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah, the Bills, that was a AAA farm club. Yeah. It, you, I miss the days of just blaming the defense for everything, <laughs> right? Where it's just, yeah, they're 15-1, uh, and one, but God, that defense sucks. You long for that hashtag fire capers, right. huh? Um, there's another thing, too, you know, when, when you, and I sit down and, you know, before the season and go through the schedule, it, there's always those surprise elements, like the Redskins, for example. They may end up winning the NFC East. So when, when you look back on it, you'll think, well, really, that loss is forgivable. But I think you'll look at the tie against Minnesota, the loss to Detroit, those two games there might end up costing the Packers a division title. Uh, maybe even the tie against Minnesota. I don't know. I mean, that was a game certainly the Packers had in control and let it slip away. Um, I, and look what it took to win the Bears game. I, and even yeah. the 49ers game, for goodness sake. Absolutely. Look what it took to win that. And, and that's the frustrating thing is we're this deep into the season, and even the Buffalo game was satisfactory, but you didn't really walk away from it feeling like, yeah. We really crushed those guys with with a, a an awful rookie quarterback and no one to throw to. John and Oostberg joining us next. Hi, John. Thanks for taking the call, guys. I, I, I don't know. I've been a, a lifelong Packer fan, born and raised in Green Bay, got tickets, watch every single game my whole life. There's something very peculiar about this particular Packer game. I think the most thing that sticks out in my mind is I think we'd all agree they can beat any football team that, that they play. In fact, there's about eight plays that were if went the different way, we we I could almost say we'd be eight and zero. Now that sounds a little crazy, but at the end of the day, I, I, we got a number of things that are contributing this to to me in my mind. I think we're we've got a lot of young players on this team. It's taking them a while to adjust. I think their their attitudes, how focused, driven, and motivated they are. Their attention span might be able to wane, especially early in the year. But to me. I don't think we've seen 100% effort, 100% motivation on every down, every play. Had we seen that and we had that kind of 
uh, attention, and, and you think these are pros. They don't need to be motivated. They don't need to be inspired. But, in fact, I think that's what coaches are for. There needs to be a new Rockney speech going on here somewhere. And at the end of the day, I'd like to think it should start this weekend. It's a relatively decent Miami team. We should absolutely blow them out and make a statement. And we need to go on this uh, a run, something similar to we had in the previous season or two where we were down and came back. So I'm going to hang up and listen to your thoughts. But I really like to think that this is uh, a matter of just simple old-fashioned inspiration and motivation, and they just need to bring it. I do not think we've seen the Packers' best yet this year. Thanks for the phone call, John. I I don't know what the Packers' best is, to be honest with you, because I would agree. I mean, you look at they have wins. Buffalo's terrible. It was a Herculean performance by Rodgers to dig out of that Bears hole, and the 49ers game was just kind of an odd game uh, with C.J. Beathard. A lot of big plays, explosive plays. Mm. But, again, it was a you know fourth-quarter drive, bit of magic from Aaron Rodgers, and, and you take that game. The Packers have been okay at home in terms of win-loss. They haven't lost a game. I don't believe it's, it's a, a matter of motivation or effort. Um, so I, I disagree there because these guys are pros. You know, the, the Newt Rockney speech is fine. Uh, you know, the run the table or, or the R-E-L-A-X is fine, but it's only going to go so far. I mean, these are grown men we're talking about. These are professionals. I don't think it's a lack of effort. Again, I think it's been a lack of execution, but I think there's a counter to that, and this is the problem I have. You could easily make the case that, yeah, they're a handful of plays away from maybe being undefeated, but guess what? They're also a handful of plays away from being 1-7 and seven right now. You know, with, with I mean, you needed monster, absolutely. Uh, you know, monster comebacks against Chicago and Minnesota. And how many missed field goals against Minnesota did the Vikings have? That's the problem. It's it's not like this is why I say it's different. You know, in years past, you would have said, yeah, you know, this this could have broken a different way, or boy, at this penalty or whatever, uh, you know, they'd be really good or better than they are. This is a team that I'm looking at, and we said this in the first three weeks of the season. They were one, one, and one. Very easily could have been zero and three. If the Packers come back and do be, and do become a playoff team, it will be, in my opinion, because Aaron Rodgers has come back to perform like an MVP quarterback. It's got to be it. I, but really, then that blows I, away the the you know talking about being more balanced and running the football more. Well, it's got to be one or the other. I, I think you can be balanced, and I think you should be balanced. I think Aaron Rodgers also is the best player on the field when he's on the field. But if you want to see him under duress nineteen times a game and throw the ball away eight times. Hmm. I'd like to think that some more balance could help maybe alleviate some of that. And he also played to your strengths. The strength is your quarterback, but if he's getting chased all over the field, I think the house safety of field putting him back there. Operate out of the shotgun, one read, let him go, and work the underneath instead of having guys trying to win one-on-one matchups left and right. Play action probably pretty effective if you've got a guy averaging six yards a carry. Coming up on the other side, week 10 of the NFL season is underway. With a bang, we might add. Oof, what a start to this Panthers-Steelers uh, game. We'll talk about it and get you set for Week 10 of the NFL season with... What to watch After this. Well, the Bucks must forget quickly about their loss in Portland the other night. They head to the Bay Area where they'll take on the defending champion Warriors tonight. Bucks and Warriors. Ted Davis on the call. Our coverage begins with Buckshots coming up at 9 o'clock. Here on WTMJ. That's coming up in, uh, well, after Brewers Weekly with Matt Pauley, which happens at 8.07 tonight. All right, are you ready? Yes. Shall we get to it here? Let's do it. Week 10 of the NFL season is underway. Time to tell you what to watch. Jeff, let's get started with the games that you must pay attention to this weekend. You don't want to be outside messing with cold weather. Forget about Christmas decorations. Anchor in. Check this stuff out. We like to call it must-see TV. I'm starting with the game tonight. Carolina and Pittsburgh. So uh, Pittsburgh has jumped up to a 14-7 lead. Carolina scored on the opening drive. Pittsburgh, it took them one play to go 75 yards and into the end zone. And then a pick-six return of uh, interception thrown by Cam Newton. Steelers on top, 14-7. to They're like, I don't know, 30 seconds into this game. 5-2-1. Um, you know, they had their, their struggles early in the season, but they're back. And Carolina's been flying under the radar here at 6-2. and Detroit at Chicago. Well, here we go. The entire NFC North division is average, and it is wide open. And these teams will start beating up each other. The Packers have played more division games than anybody else. It's one of those five games I'm looking for from the Bears here. Three home games and then the, the Giants. 
and the 49ers. The Lions are in trouble here uh, because if they lose this week, they got that sixth loss. They got to play the Panthers next week, and then they play the Bears again on Thanksgiving Day. Seattle at Los Angeles to take on the Rams. Kind of a sneak peek at the Packers' next opponent. Rams always enjoyable to watch. They're going to get taken down somewhere else along the way, but looking for a rebound here after that loss to New Orleans. Uh, this is a great matchup earlier in the season when the Rams won in Seattle. And, and again, the playoff picture isn't quite crystal clear yet or really coming into focus, but Seattle at 4-4 four and four playing on the road, it's a big game. New Orleans at Cincinnati. Remember when the Saints were 0-1? <laughs> I mean, a lot like the Steelers, right? I mean, they had their struggles early in the season with the Browns. Um, but they are perma must-see TV. Dallas at Philadelphia. Dallas is in that desperate mode right now. Philly trying to keep pace with Washington in the NFC lease. Same boat as Detroit. Uh, Dallas at 3-5. and five, And I don't really know what to make of the Eagles here, but I get the sense at 4-4. Four and four, Don't count them out just yet. And New England at Tennessee. Nice winning streak here for New England. But the Titans are also in playoff position here. So big game for them. Yeah, you got to think for as much as we talk about the NFC is a big lumpy mass of, of teams. You want the AFC outside of really, I think, the top four teams. Yeah, Houston and then a bunch of, I don't know what's going on there. You probably don't want to be doing yard work, but our next category for the games that are, okay, not the best, but. If your only other option is yard work. Washington at Tampa Bay. Here's what I do know. When Ryan Fitzpatrick is on the field, it has the feeling of a shootout. Don't you get the feeling that the over-under is like 80 in this game? I don't know what it is. Uh, About 51. I'll take the over. I'll always take the over. Um, yeah, we'll see about the Redskins here. They have defied expectations up to this point. I think they played much better than we expected, much deeper into the season than we expected. Chance to score a road win here. Coming off of a bad home loss. Chargers at Raiders. I am a little ah. conflicted here because the Chargers are a lot of fun. The Raiders, I think, have given up. I think this is a good spot. Yes, the Raiders have given up. There's no question about it. The Chargers are a fun team to watch. Are they still under the radar? I don't think so. I think people are waking up to the L.A. Chargers. Arizona at Kansas City. This game is in the creamy middle here because Arizona is so bad, averaging less than 14 points a game. They're bringing this thing down. Kansas City's must-see TV, but this is yard work I need, category. I need an upgrade here. This is this is must-see TV, even though it is Arizona, Ugh. because the, the Potomac bombs are deadly. Jacksonville at Indianapolis. I, I want this game to mean a lot more, but I do believe <laughs> that the loser of this game is done. Oh, no question. No question. This is, I don't know, to me, this is a pass. There's a sign of desperation here, I think. Well, you're going to get Leonard Fournette back if you're Jacksonville. The Colts have been, both teams are 3-5. and That's what I mean. The loser is done. So the desperation effect is here. Division battle. That's why it gets a boost to the middle category. To me, there's a lot more desperation for Jacksonville. I mean, they they were the Super Bowl champions after week two. That's right. Uh, Atlanta at Cleveland. Don't look now. The Falcons have won three in a row. Cleveland has a new coach, a uh, new coach, and a new former member of the Packers in Jermaine Whitehead. Um, I think it's going to be four in a row by the time this weekend is done. And yeah, the Falcons are starting to look like the team, especially offensively, that we feared during, uh, back uh, during the summer. And our final category. I'd rather visit a proctologist. Now, the reason there are only two games in this category, Jeff, this week is because these games are so bad <laughs> that I could not possibly lump any other game with this. So, with respect to your decision and thoughts on Jacksonville and Indianapolis, not as bad as the Jets. I'm sorry. Well, yes, the Jets and the Bills. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's This might here. be the worst game in NFL history. <laughs> no, there was, there was a game last year between the Bears and the Browns. That was like Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. It was late in the season. It actually ended up being a somewhat entertaining game, but uh, wow. I guess the only yeah, – Sam Darnold is all right. You know, the only redeeming quality. I don't even know if he'll an play. advanced scouting report on the Jets, but they have I, nothing. They have nothing offensively. Giants and San Francisco, three combined wins. Here's what you're going to want to do. Go onto YouTube and find the 1990 Monday night football game between the Giants and the 49ers. That will be far more entertaining than watching this. Especially if you can find the commercials. A little Jim Burt for you. Oh, you bet. You're up to date. You now know what to watch. We'll wrap up the program after this on WTMJ. Wrapping things up on a Thursday night. Miller Lights, Packers Playbook. Greg Matzik and Jeff Falconia with you. Matt Pauley and Brewers Weekly begins following the 8 o'clock news. Bucks basketball begins about 9 o'clock tonight. And uh, Brian D is going to sit on the program tomorrow. I do have a Friday off. And uh, Brian D. of 94.5 ESPN-FM will be sitting in making his WTMJ debut. So good stuff. Check out Brian tomorrow 
uh, from six to nine here on Sports Central. Is it really his debut? Because he interned for us a well, number he did. of years ago. He did, but I'm I never. If we ever did anything on air with him? I, I never allowed him on the air, and uh. I, quite frankly, I, I I challenged him to just run as far away from the industry as possible. <laughs> uh, and he actually and he settled really into took a, that advice well. Uh, right, he settled into a very nice role. No, Brian's a very talented young broadcaster, and uh, he's looking forward to the opportunity tomorrow. So check him out tomorrow, six to nine. Uh, Brian D will be sitting in for me on Sports Central. What are we looking for here? I, I know a win. Let's just be clear about that. Yeah. The Packers need to turn things around rapidly. But how, how do you feel like this game is going to play out? Because I, I still have not identified the thing Miami does best. But they are five and four. I, that's you, you know, you're nine games into a season. You're five and four. You're in the hunt. So they have put themselves in the mix here, doing something right. I would argue two and four since that uh, hot start that they had. Um, I'm looking at two things. Again, run defense. I think that's going to be challenged. Uh, I go back to the Rams in the 49ers game, and, and I definitely have the concern there. And then I'm looking for offensively, here's the spot to click. Because when Miami has really struggled, last week notwithstanding, it's been on the defensive side of the ball. And they've been giving up a ton of points over the last five weeks or so. So if you're looking for the offense to get on track, if you're looking to relax, run the table, whatever it is, this is the week to do it. If we walk out of that Lambeau field uh, and this against this Miami team and we are still scratching our head, what is wrong with the defense? Why can't they put four quarters together? I hate to say it, but it is going to be a long stretch to end the season. Well, it'll be a very short week and a short turnaround for the mm-hmm. Packers. So they're going to leave for Seattle on Tuesday night. Uh, they've got a Thursday night game on the road in a very hostile environment with a Seattle team that's in the mix as well. They also represent the middle class of the NFC. So this is a three-game and 12-day stretch. There's nothing easy about that. And you're this crisscrossing the, the country, and it is. This it absolutely is. Season. Yeah, Not to put too much on one game, but the Packers have dug themselves a large hole, and it will take a lot to get out of it. They need to go 2-1. and one. In the next three games. To, okay, yeah, to, so to end Se- November. Seattle, Miami, Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. 2-1. and one. I think so, too. Two and one, and then and then you you have maybe one loss in there in December. Okay, and and that might mask some of the cracks in the foundation, and and we'll see. But I, there are bigger issues at hand here with regard to this offense specifically. I just get the defensive passing grade. I mean, I I did not expect them to be a top five defense all of a sudden, and they did enough. They did enough the last two weeks to prop up the offense and say, here you go, we're giving you a shot. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't pristine. Turnovers, uh, that's lacking right now. They're negative one in the giveaway-takeaway world, but it wasn't abysmal either. Yeah, I would even go back to maybe about midway through the third quarter against the 49ers, and the defense did a lot uh, to keep the team in the game and give the offense the opportunity to ultimately win. But, yeah, it's you know there's not a lot of punch here with this Miami team. So that's why I say if, if they start getting the big explosive plays, the chunk plays on the ground, like the 49ers were able to do, and, you know, there's. I think there's only so many times you can let a team like that hang around and pull a fourth quarter miracle, and it's gonna, it's gonna bite you. We are out of time here on Miller Lights Packers Playbook. Thanks for hanging out with us. We've got Brewers Weekly with Matt Pauley coming up after the eight o'clock news, which is next on WTMJ.